Halloween. Happy Father's Day to all you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier today, Father's Day, how, um, like, there's different levels. I, this is what I've been learning in the last year or so. There's different levels of being a father, right? Isn't there, you know, like, when your kids are young, that's one level. My kids are almost all grown up now, and uh, so I'm kind of entering in this second phase of father, maybe, and... Uh, it's a fun one, though. It's a fun one. So I just want to say a word to the fathers that are here today. Thanks, First of all, thanks for being here, because I know there's other places you could be. And I would just say this, that um, there's a lot of things we get to do as, as dads that are fun. And there's a lot of things we have, a lot of responsibilities we have as dads. Um, you know, and I don't know what you think some of those top partners are, but, you know, being a provider is important. Um, those types of things, but let me tell you this, that, that I think the, the greatest thing we get to do as dads is to lead our kids to know Jesus. Um, so we're in a new series, and this is like our third week in the series, and the series basically is, um, we're focusing on two important things. And if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know what they are. One of them is the Word of God, and the other is the Spirit of God. And how do the Word of God and the Spirit of God go together? Um, how can we have a balanced life of, um, of both the Word and the Spirit? And so that's what this series is all about. We're going to be taking a, a look at, the, at that from a whole bunch of different angles. Okay, And it's exciting and fun and a little bit scary. I've shared my fears with you about a, a preaching a series like this. And um, I told you how I had to put it off for about three years because I was not ready to do it. Um, God had to do some things in my life. And He's still doing those things in my life. Um, but I've, I've been now a pastor for over 25 years. And I know. And it's been a while. I've preached many, many sermons over those years. I've taught many. I was working with youth for many of those years, taught many lessons. Um, but here's something I'll just be honest about, is I've rarely seen the Holy Spirit move in my life, in my teaching, in my ministry, the way that I hoped He would move. And that's a, that's a crazy statement. And I think part of the reason for that, if I'm honest, is because... For a lot of those 25 years, I was not actively seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit in my ministry, like I try to do now. Again, not, certainly not perfect in that. Um, but, but that's not to say that the Spirit wasn't at move, wasn't at working in my life and in, in the life of this church. Um, uh, he was. We've seen people saved over the years. We've seen a lot of people baptized. We're going to see one more today, I think. Um, we've seen people be sent out as missionaries and pastors, and worship leaders. We've seen lives like uh, young people whose lives were just on the rocks and headed in the wrong direction. We've seen God turn them around and put them, uh, raise them up and even put them in a ministry. I mean, we've seen some really great things in this church. 
Um, there's even been some people that have been healed in this church. I mean, truly, genuinely healed. Um, not many, but some that were genuine. I've seen them. You've seen them if you've been here. But I guess I would say this, that for the most part, and there's nothing wrong with what I'm about to say, but for the most part, this church has been a place where, we, where people come to expect the Bible to be taught. I mean, it's in our name, right? <laughs> it's in our name. We're not Pastor Robles Holy Spirit Church. Okay? We're Pastor Robles Bible Church. And um, a typical comment I've gotten over the years is this. Um, hey, hey, Pastor, thanks for the word today. Thanks for your teaching today. Or something like, man, I really appreciated your message today. I've heard that a few times over the years. And some of them were even genuine when they said it. Um, you know what I mean? Um, but over the, over the 25 years, I've never once, never one time, heard somebody came up to me and said, thank you for ministering the Holy Spirit today. Never one time. And that says more about me than it does about you guys. Um, so it leads me to a question, okay? We're, the, leads me to a question that I want you to think about for a minute. I, I, if you were here last week, I already dropped this on you, so you, you've probably been thinking about it all week, I know, if I know you guys. been thinking about it. Um, here's the question. Can we have the Word without the Spirit? Okay, before you answer, <laughs> I want you to think about it for a minute. Can you have the Word without the Spirit? In fact, why don't you turn to somebody and tell them your answer and tell them why. I'll give you one minute to do that, okay? All right, time's up. Fast minute. All right, now listen. Our instincts, I bet you that, I don't want to give a percentage, the majority of you, your instincts were, were like a couple, a couple just blurted it out, and you guys were right. Like, our instincts to that answer to that question, can we have the word of the spirit, is no, absolutely not, right? That's what our instincts want to tell us. Um, and I believe that in some ways, our instincts are correct because technically and theologically, as we're going to talk about later today, we cannot have the Word without the Spirit. Um, why? What's the number one reason why? Is because the Spirit wrote the Word, right? So they go together, um, as, we'll, as we'll see in a few minutes today. But practically, listen, practically, I think the answer is yes. Can we have the Word without the Spirit? Practically, I think the answer to that question is yes, because I have both witnessed in, in uh, other people and in churches and in myself, I've experienced it in my life and my ministry, 
that we can read and teach and study and preach without the conscience presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've seen that. I have. In fact, I was raised that way. In the church I was raised up in, and then the college that I went, Bible college that I went to, was practically that way. You can have the Word without the Spirit. The Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures, right, is, is the thing. Um, so to understand what I'm talking about here, because maybe, maybe you're like, how do these things go together? Where are you, where are you going with this, Pastor? To understand, I, I, I want to talk, before we get into like the, the theological side of today's message, which we're going to get there, and, and, um, and that's important, we're going to get into, but I wanted to just start by saying that there is a difference, and I'll explain it like this, there's a difference between the conscious presence of the Holy Spirit and the unconscious presence of the Holy Spirit. L- let's talk a little bit about what I mean. By conscious presence of the Holy Spirit, I mean this, that, that is when people are intentionally seeking the Holy Spirit in their life. Intentionally going out of their way to seek the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's like this. I have a few scriptures for you. And I have them written in my notes. Um, so, but if you want to turn there, you can. I just, for sake saving time, I'll just read them from my notes. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He said this, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. Did you catch that? Here Paul implied that one could bring the good news of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, the the preaching of the word of God, I can say it like that, with or without the power of the Holy Spirit. He basically said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 2.4. It says, my speech, this is Paul talking, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. So what is he implying there? Like, my words could have just come with persuasive speech. Like, Paul was such a man that, that he had, um, you know, he had lots of knowledge of the Scriptures. In fact, his whole life, even before he was a believer, he was raised to know the Scriptures. This is a guy that, before he was saved, his head was full of the Scriptures. Had been, had been raised by um, Gamaliel, the, one of the top Pharisees. He was a religious uh, leader in the church. And, and Paul was on the fast track, literally, to being, a, um, to being the next, like maybe even high priest. He was like on the fast track. And um, so his mind was full of Scripture. So he could have come with just his persuasive words, right? That's what he's implying here. But he says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to come just with my words. I want to come with, as he says here, the demonstration of the Spirit's power. So in both of these cases, both of these verses, Paul could testify to the conscious, the intentional presence of the Holy Spirit. He implies that he might have just spoken the word um, only, But he didn't, at least not in these cases. He didn't. The conscious presence of the Holy Spirit 
accompanied his preaching, and that preaching came with power. Paul was aware of um, that his ministry needed this intentional seeking of the Holy Spirit. And so in Ephesians, he, in the book of Ephesians, he prayed and he asked Ephesians, right? He wrote this letter to the Ephesians, sent it out, and in that he asked for prayer from them. And here's what he prayed in Ephesians 6.19. He said, pray also for me, listen, that the words may be given to me by God when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. <laughs> now think about this. If boldness and authority and power came from Paul every time he spoke, he wouldn't have needed to ask for prayer. Like if he had the Holy Spirit and he was always speaking, he was always a representative, his light switch was always flicked on, and he was always preaching intentionally uh, with the Holy Spirit, he never would have needed to ask for prayer in this area. I don't think he was just displaying humility. I think that he knew without the power of the Spirit giving him his words, uh, these words of boldness, his efforts would have been far less effective. Now listen, here's a testimony about my life. I know what it's like to preach without boldness and without seeking the intentional presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I did it for many, many years, if I'm just honest. Um, there's been... <laughs> Many times where my preaching has literally felt like a complete train wreck. <laughs> like, uh, I get done preaching, I think, like, that was literally the worst sermon I've ever preached. Like, there's been many times over the years, and I, I don't, that's just honest, that's just the truth. But then, I've had people come up to me, like, after the service, and say something like, you know, Mark, your words were exactly what I needed to hear today. It seems like God was like speaking right through you to me today. How did you know that's exactly what I needed to hear? And I'm thinking, inside I'm thinking, I didn't know, because I think that was the worst sermon I ever preached. But listen, to them it was, it was gold, right? And why is that? Why is that? I'll tell you this. This is why. Because even when I, as a preacher, as a teacher was not intentionally seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit, it seems like that the unconscious presence of the Spirit was there because the unconscious presence of the Spirit always accompanies the Word. And this is what's meant um, by the unconscious presence. That the Holy Spirit in some way will always come with the Word of God. His presence is there even if it's unintentional by the speaker. Even if it's um, just some weakness in the vessel that was speaking. Still the power of God can fill that speaker because the power comes from the Word and it comes from the Spirit. And they're working together in unity to bring about something that only God can bring about. So there's a sense in which the Word and the Spirit are unconsciously inseparable. Like you cannot have one without the other. So we would not have the, the Bible without the Holy Spirit. 
we're going to see in a minute, the Spirit was instrumental in writing the Scripture. Now, so the unconscious presence of uh, the Spirit is always accompanies the Word. However, there are times when the Holy Spirit chooses to withhold His conscious presence. What do I mean? Here's the point. As believers, we need to not only intentionally seek God in the Scriptures, but also we need to intentionally seek the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. There are certainly times when we as believers will Un, uh, that's the wrong, wrong word. But we will choose not to intentionally seek Him. Is that true in your life? It, it, it has been in mine. And, and whatever the reason is for that, and we all have our own set of reasons maybe, um, but I think deep down within us as believers, God has put something in there that it's the conscious presence of the Holy Spirit that we all truly desire in our lives. His presence at work in us is what we really long for. So I will ask our question again. Can we have the Word without the Spirit? And now the answer to that question in our heads should absolutely be no way. And so let's take a look. We have a few minutes. Let's take a look at three, and and I'm just going to say these are three theological terms that we use and, and how how did the Holy Spirit actively work to bring us the Word of God? And so that's what we'll kind of focus on for the rest of our time today. Three theological ways. Okay, so not, I don't always go the theological route in my preaching, but I want to do it today because I think these are important. We're still kind of in the beginning stages of this series and I think we're building some layers here to get to the place where God ultimately wants to take us here. But I think this is an essential building block as we head to where we want to go. So the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us the Word of God, three, and they just all happen, this is, they all happen to start with I, and I did not even plan that, but like that's a, that's an OCD like joy for me today to bring you three I's. Um, What's the word? Alliterated. They're all alliterated, so I love it. The first one is inspiration. Okay? Inspiration. This is probably the one y'all are most familiar with of the three we're going to talk about today. Um, Inspiration, here's a definition. It's when the Holy Spirit filled the lives of men who wrote the Scriptures. Okay? So Moses and Paul and Luke and Isaiah, and all the guys who wrote the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit came and filled their lives, filled them with it, the Holy Spirit filled them with His presence, and then they were able to write down the words of, that God intended to be written down. Inspiration is taking the message of God and putting it into the hearts and into the minds of the people so they can write it down, allowing others to understand what God wants to say. So that's at the very basic definition 
And, and, and all these things, I have to say this, all these things that we're going to talk about, these three things, we could go really deep in it. But, but we're not. For, one, for sake of time, we just don't have the time to do that. I don't want to give the time to that. But also because um, I, think, I think understanding just the basics right for, for us right now is what we need to do. Um, there's two main passages when we talk about inspiration um, with regards to the Holy Spirit. The first is the most well-known of them all. And you guys, this might be a verse you have memorized, 2 Timothy 3.16, and in part it says this, all Scripture is inspired by God. Okay, maybe you've heard that. And the, and the verse goes on to tell us why and how important the Scriptures are. But all Scripture is inspired by God. Now this word inspired is found exactly one time in the Bible, right here in this verse, in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, it's the Greek word, and let me see if I can remember how to pronounce Greek. It's been a few years since I was in school. It's theonoustos. And here it's two Greek words. It's like Paul does this a lot, right, when he writes. And um, it's two Greek words that are sort of been put together. Uh, the first part of it is theos, which, of course, you guys know means God, okay, where we get theology, the study of God. And then the second word, neustos, uh, is from the, um, it, it, it literally means breathe. The verb form of this word means to breathe or to blow. Okay, so if you put those two together, what, what, do you, what does the word mean, literally? God blew, or God breathed. And the, the implication is God breathed out. Okay, so here's an important thing. And I said we're not going to go too deep, but I have to say this. Here's an important thing about inspiration is that the people, so Luke, Paul, Moses, all the guys, like they themselves were not inspired. It's an important thing to understand. So, so in other words, if, if, Paul, if Paul, you know, had to go shopping, right, and he, so he wrote out a shopping list, his, the shopping list he wrote out was not inspired. Okay, because Paul himself was not inspired. It, so that's something that we have to remember. Um, people are just people with, with full of our imperfections, and that was true of the people who wrote Scripture. They themselves were not inspired. It was what, what was inspired. It was the Word of God that He breathed out that came into the men. That was what was inspired. Um, so this phrase, God breathed, or, or the breath of God literally is it's, it's, a, it's like a figurative description. Because it, obviously it wasn't like the literal breath of God. So it was a figurative by, by which it describes the process by which the Scriptures were originated. So in order for us to get the Scriptures that we have now, the Holy Spirit literally breathed into people and He took their own... Um, uh, who they were as people didn't change them, their style and all that, and then what they wrote became the inspired Word of God. So again, they themselves were inspired, but the words were and are. And it became the um, God's own expression, literally, and therefore it's called, rightly, the Word of God. Okay? That's maybe one of the most accurate ways we can refer to this book. 
The Bible is kind of probably the least accurate way, to be honest. Um, but the Word of God is, is, is probably the most accurate way. Um, so in, in 2 uh, Timothy 3.16, we just read, um, Paul just kind of simply states the fact of inspiration there, but he does not explain the process. And um, there's another verse, though, however, that does explain the process for us. It's in 2 Peter 121. I think I read this last week or the week before. Second um, Peter 121, and, and it kind of gives us more information on this process. It says this, No prophecy ever came about by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that verse? No, process, no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy This is the description of inspiration, how we got the Word of God. Men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God used people in the writing of Scripture. Um, he used their personalities. He used their styles. He used their cultural backgrounds. He used their theological presuppositions. Because listen, the Bible was written over a long period of time. Um, thousands of years, right, from the Old Testament to the end. And um, different cultures, um, different, definitely different people, different backgrounds, different styles, different languages, all these things. Yet the, the one thing that's common throughout all 66 books of the Scripture is what? God breathed. God breathed it all. Their words are completely and wholly Spirit-breathed. They were moved along by the Spirit. They all find their origin in Him. Okay, so that's, quickly, that's inspiration. The second way that the Holy Spirit brings us His Word is through illumination. Second eye, illumination. Now, as the believer reads and, and as we study Scripture, as we hear it taught, um, all those things, the Holy Spirit brings about an understanding of what it means. And that's what illumination is. I, I would say this, that since the Holy Spirit wrote Scripture, which I, which I hope we understand that He did and believe that, okay, since the Holy Spirit wrote Scripture, it makes sense, doesn't it, that He would be the one that would help us understand it? And so, a good practice, practical thing that I often do is when I sit down to read the Bible, I'll open it up and then I'll just say like a quick prayer. You know, Holy Spirit, whatever we're reading today, just, you know, help me understand what you wrote. I'll just say a simple prayer like that. And... Um, and it's helpful. It's helpful to just acknowledge that. 2 Corinthians 4.6, it says this, for, I, for God who said, excuse me, hey David, there's a little bit of feedback on this. Thanks, man. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Illumination by the Holy Spirit is necessary because there's a vast difference between our understanding, 
the understanding of people, our reason, the way that the, the, what we can comprehend, there's a vast difference between that and the wisdom of God. There's a big chasm between those two things. So in order for us, as just ordinary people, to be able to read and understand what the Holy Spirit meant when he wrote this, we need his help. Doesn't that make sense? And, and, and you're thinking, well, I've read the Bible before and, and unintentionally, you know, seeking the Holy Spirit, but I'm able to understand it. And I was talking to Abby earlier today, my daughter, and um, in schools, right? I don't know if, I think it's still like this. In schools, in some English classes in schools, they'll take parts of the Bible and they'll read them in class. Is that still a thing? Teenagers, you still do that in school? <laughs> and we used to do that. Like we used to take the book of Job. Was something I distinctly remember when I was in high school in one of my English classes. They took the book of Job and we read through it. And I was thinking, it's odd, right, that, that they would do that. But it was, what was the point of that? Not to study what God wrote. It was, just, it was kind of to study it as, a, uh, as an important writing of history, like a poetry or whatever. And I think sometimes, if we're honest, we kind of just read the Bible like it's some kind of textbook that we think we just need to, to know so we can pass the test at the end of our lives. And that's just absolutely the wrong motivation when we come to Scripture. We do not come to it just only to fill our minds with understanding of it, the knowledge of it, although that's part of it. But we have to come to understand that it goes deeper than that because we need to understand the very wisdom of God. There's a passage I actually turn to. Um, turn there with me if you want. 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I think um, we need to understand divine matters. When I say divine matters, the matters of God. The matters of the Holy Spirit. And since we cannot fully grasp the greatness of God with our limited intellect, and I think that's a fact, we need the Spirit to help us. So listen to this passage or follow along if you want. 1 Corinthians 2, I'm going to start in verse 10. It says, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Remember, we're talking about illumination. God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. Verse 13, we also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. So if you're sitting in a, in a sophomore uh, English class and you're reading the book of Job, most of the people aren't going to get it. Why? Because it's foolishness to them. 
Okay? They are not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. Verse 15, the spiritual person, however, this is us, okay, hopefully all of us here today, the spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? And here's the linchpin to all of this. But we have the mind of Christ. Um, agree or disagree with this statement. God has the right to demand us to act and behave in a certain way. <laughs> Most of you are like, oh, I want to answer that question. Because then I'll be accountable. I think that um, one of the main reasons why God gave us the Scriptures through the Holy Spirit is so that He could set a standard of living for us. The problem is, I don't know if you've run across this in your Christian life, the problem is that I cannot live up to that standard that God has set up for me. Um, and I wager that none of you can too, which is the amazing thing about grace, isn't it? That when we fail and fall short of where God wants us to live, we have grace. But the other side of the coin is that He's also given us His Spirit like we just read so that we could be the people He wants us to be. To get up to that place He wants us to be. So that when the Father looks down into our lives, He doesn't see us, ourselves. I've said this a ton of times. He doesn't see us, ourselves. But who does He see instead of us? Jesus. Yeah, He sees Jesus because we have the mind of Christ. The Scripture is God's, not His only way, but His primary way in which He tells us what to believe and how He chooses to reveal His will to us. And the Holy Spirit will guide us as He illuminates and brings to light the Word of God in our lives. Okay, so illumination. The third way is this. Um, another I word, inerrancy. Inerrancy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Inerrancy. The simple definition of inerrancy is exactly what you think it is. Okay? The Holy Spirit oversees, oversaw, and continues to oversee the Scriptures to make sure that it is without what? Errors. Right. <clears throat> so inerrancy... The Scripture is without error. The more complex <laughs> definition requires a bit of logical thinking. I'll tell you why. Because the word inerrancy is not found in Scripture. Okay? It's, it's just solely a theological term where um, people over the years, smart people, have taken, poured over the Scriptures... And it's something that we call biblical theology, where they take many, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> many verses from the scriptures, put them all together in a little package, and, and present a um, present a principle from the Word of God. And um, the principle that is being presented here is inerrancy, that the scripture is without errors. Um, but once again, the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but it certainly implies it 
in a lot of ways. Let me read a few scriptures for us, okay? I'm not sure these are in your notes or not. You might need to write these down. The Bible in Psalm 19, verse 7, the Bible claims to be perfect. Did you know that? It said the law of the Lord is perfect. Okay? The Bible stands or falls as a whole. And this is, this is really important to me. Um, and I don't... I hope it's important to you because I know it's not important to a lot of people in the world today. That the Scripture stands or falls as a whole. Okay? And what I mean by that is that if, if one part of it is proven to have error, then, then what? The whole of it becomes suspect. We can't trust any of it then. And what's the, what's the, the, the worldly side of that? If, if, if people in their minds think that part of the Bible can't be trusted, then, then what is, what's their responsibility to it? Well, then I can just pick and choose the parts I want and just disregard the parts I don't want. And that is so dangerous. We cannot do that. So, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 30, verse 5, it says this, that every word of God is pure. The Bible is a reflection of its author. Okay, and this is maybe the most impressive proof that I can talk about. The Bible is a reflection of its author. Um, the Holy Spirit, and since the Scripture calls the Holy Spirit in John 15, 26, the Spirit of truth, doesn't it follow that what He wrote would also be what? True. It would be truth. And this, this is a fact that Jesus actually confirms in John 17, 17. He says this, a familiar verse. He says, Sanctify them in truth, your, he's, he's praying, right? he's, your word is truth. We believe that God who created the whole universe is capable of writing a book. That's, that's what we believe when we, when we hold this thing and read it and study it. The, the God who created everything, he, he could write a book. And the God who is perfect and pure and truth is capable of writing a perfect book. The issue that it comes down to is this, I think. Um, it's not, does the Bible have a mistake? That's the wrong question. I think the better question is, can God make a mistake. Yeah. If the Bible contains factual errors, which some people say it does, then God Himself is capable of making errors. If the Bible contains misinformation, then God is not fully truthful. So therefore, He's a liar. If the Bible contains contradictions, which some people say it does, then God is the author of confusion. 
In other words, if biblical inerrancy is not true, then God is not God. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, The doctrine of biblical inerrancy is super important. It's probably not one we think about a ton. It's important because truth does matter. And this has always been the case. But we know if, you, if, you know, if you're living in the culture that you're living in, which you are, we know that truth is, is viewed as relative by the majority of the people that live on this planet. And as Christians, I think we have a responsibility and a duty to stand up against that and literally put our foot down and say, we're not going to take that anymore. Truth is not relative. There's right and wrong. There's black and white. God is true and His is truthful and His word is true. And we know it can be true because the Spirit is, the one who wrote it is true. I don't think we get to pick and choose the parts that we want because some of it makes us uncomfortable. This issue, um, inerrancy, it reflects the character of God, I think. And it's foundational, foundational to our understanding and um, everything that the Bible believes. Okay, so this is how we know that the Bible is the Word of God. By the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. We have, we have external testimonies, right, that, that prove the Bible is true. We have creation. We have archaeology. We have uh, other external proofs, but the greatest proof is the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. And so we may safely read and study and preach and teach all of Scripture, knowing that the same faithful God who breathed out and spoke His Word into being also illuminates and shines His light upon it so that we can understand it And this word is without error. It's completely reliable and trustworthy. So the Holy Spirit gave us the Bible. And I'll ask you this. Are you thankful for it? Um, Look, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of Pastor Oval's Bible Church. I think it's important. And... All that to say, and in the weeks ahead, um, you're going to hear me say I'm also proud to be a part of Pastor Rubble's Holy Spirit Church, because that's important too. But for today, I want to focus on this. Have you thought where we would be without the Bible? Um, With the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah exactly where it is. I don't have time to go into this, but I saw a movie years ago with Denzel Washington, and I can't remember the name of it. Somebody remind me. Solomon will remind me what it mean, what the name of the movie was later. The Book of Eli. That's it. And it was basically a, a post-apocalyptic type of movie, and people were living, and the Bible had been completely lost out of culture. And I think I don't remember the whole plot as so, too long ago, but basically Denzel Washington. I think he finds a copy of the Bible, and um, and basically, isn't that like how like important the Bible and kind of brings it slowly back into culture, something like that. 
But I thought, you know, what would our world be without the Bible? It would be way worse than it is now. And it's, it's getting kind of bad out there. So here's, an, here's a question. We'll close up with this. I know I'm asking you a lot of hard questions today, but I think it's, it's good for us to think about these things. Um, so because God has given us the Bible, and I'm a firm believer, and I don't have chapter and verse on this, but I'm a firm believer that if God gave us the Bible and the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, I'm a firm believer that he also preserved and preserves the Bible so that we in English in 2023 can read the words in you know one of our 50 English translations and be confident that it's still the Word of God. And um, so here's the question. Um, since God gave us the Bible, don't you think He wants us to know what's in it? Yes. And not only to know what's in it, like we were talking about, not just know intellectually what's in it, but to know and to live out and to believe and apply what's in it. And for that, we need the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together. The degree to which we believe the Bible is inspired and illuminated and inerrant will determine how much we care to study it, how much we care to know God's message from it. So, by now, you understand that I'm saying we need the Bible. <laughs> and, I, and I know you agree with me on that. We need the Bible. However, I'm also saying that we need more than the Bible. Now, hear, what, hear me out. We need more than the Bible because we need the Bible plus the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit actively working in our lives so that we can apply and understand what He's already wrote down in Scripture. And so, when or if He might bring a prophecy or a word of knowledge or something into our minds or hearts, we have the spiritual discernment to say, that doesn't sound like God. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to follow down that false trail. Or we say, I do believe that. That does sound like God. I know that's the heart of God. And we're able to follow after that. We won't be led astray to and fro with every strange doctrine but we will be firmly grounded in the foundation of the primary source of knowledge that God has given us in the Scriptures. An amazing promise, and we'll close with this, an amazing promise from Jesus, John chapter 14, verse 26. He says this, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. We need the Holy Spirit actively working in our lives to apply what He's already wrote in the Scriptures. We need both the Word of God and the Spirit of God to become the people that the Father wants us to be. Okay, so... Do we need, or can we have the Word without the Spirit? No. Next week, we're going to ask a similar question, but a little bit different. Can we have the Spirit without the Word? Okay, we'll talk about that next week. You have to come back. 
and hear it. Worship team, I think we have a song and would encourage you. Um, when are you doing the baptism, Dave? After the service. After the service. Okay. So um, we're going to sing another song here and I'd encourage you to, you know what, that's kind of looks busy over there. So maybe if the prayer team can just kind of come up here to the front um, somewhere. And if you want to seek prayer for anything today, I would strongly encourage you to do that. There's people here who love to pray for you. I know you probably want to rush off and get to lunch or whatever. And, and, but if, some, if the Spirit is doing something in your life right now, don't just run, run off. Listen, be open and hear His voice, and maybe seek some prayer with somebody. Uh, so they'll be available up here to pray with you if you need that or desire that. So let me pray for us, though, and then we'll sing. God, um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're so thankful today that we have the privilege to be in, be in a place in our lives and in, in our culture that we can open Your Word and look at it and study it and believe it, and, um, and we can do it freely. So grateful for that. I don't want to take that for granted. And um, so, Father, I'd, I'd pray that as we have already established today that we've been given the Scripture by the Spirit. And Spirit, I would ask that you would continue to minister your Word in our lives uh, when we need it, which is all the time. So we thank you. Um, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work you've done and the work you continue to do. Continue to speak to us through your Word. Continue to speak to us in other means as, as you desire. And we want to be open to hear the words that you want to speak to us. I pray like that in the book of Revelation, that we, our ears would be open to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. And that we will be doers of the Word, not just hearers only. So guide us in these things, we pray. Amen.